0: Welcome to the Door of Life Church podcast. Our mission is to share the love of Jesus with the world and believers, to teach them how to walk in victory, and to help them find and fulfill God's plan for their life. If you have any comments about today's podcast, please contact us through our website at dooroflife.org. Door of Life Church, where faith meets real life. Get started this morning in a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 2. And this is one of those stories that surrounds our Christmas season that we we visit regularly this time of year. And uh, we're going to do it again. We're going to just glean, I believe, some really good things this morning. The scripture says Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, "'For this is what the prophet wrote, "'And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, "'are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, "'for a ruler will come from you "'who will be a shepherd for my people Israel.' "'Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, "'and he learned from them the time "'when the star first appeared. "'Then he told them, "'Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, "'and when you find him, Come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures, treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. All right? So this is the story that we think of every time this year, the story of the three wise men. And within this story... There is such powerful, profound truth here, you know, as you back up. You see, these guys are not Jews, all right? They're men from eastern lands, and we don't know explicitly who they were by name. You know, we kind of figure three wise men because of the three gifts. That's kind of how we put that together. It doesn't even say there were three, per se. But from, based on history, based on context and things like that, what is typically surmised around that time, based on wise men, the three wise men could very well have been Melchior, a Persian, a Gasper, India, and Belshazzar from Arabia. Now, we know the Jewish people are under really bad oppression here. You know, you get this The paradigm of the oppressor and the oppressed, right here. You got Rome, the oppressive Rome. And they are just awaiting their Savior to deliver them. And here you got foreigners who know. Foreigners who are seeing this star. And they have knowledge that this has to do with Israel, with their newborn king. This is an amazing little subplot, little story in the Scripture because, you know, at this point we're seeing like almost the Gentiles getting out ahead. A foreshadowing of what's about to happen here. Um, You think these guys in in the, the nations that they probably represent, I mean, it reminds you of that promise that God gave to Abraham. He said, in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. We know that Jesus was that seed of Abraham, that promised seed to come. But we know that through Abraham, all the families would be blessed. And the cool thing that we see here is we see a little bit of a template in this little story of these guys seeking God, seeking the King of the Jews. That star was not... Jesus, but that star was a light that led them to find Jesus. And when they found him, exceeding joy, they were extremely excited to see him, and they worshipped him. Now, think about this: these are three. Well, we'll assume for the moment three wise, renowned, you know, had you know, great stature in their countries they're probably representing, full-grown men falling down on their faces to worship, who is not a newborn. I know we kind of see the newborn baby in the manger with the wise men, but really, Jesus was probably about, at this time, he was probably, we, we surmise, like about 18 months or so, maybe a year and a half, maybe a year and a half to two, somewhere around there. He was about the age Caleb was when we first moved here. And I remember that first service. DeSharms might remember this too, where he's kind of sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, we're just kind of trying out to see if this is a fit. And I'm seeing Caleb and with this little gleam in his eye during worship service. And I'm thinking, oh man, Caleb, don't blow this. Don't ruin this whole thing. <laughs> little mischievous, you know, year and a half to almost two year old kid. And, you know, that was him. That was Jesus. You know, that was probably about his age when these guys fell down on their face, and worshiped that young boy. They recognized it. They recognized who he was. And they worshiped him. They sought him. They found him. And I think what is so beautiful about this little story, this little Christmas subplot that's put in here by the Holy Spirit to let us know, is it helps us, inspires us, and gives us, I believe, Um, guidelines as it relates to seeking. And this is both on our seeking and helping people who are seeking. And so the title of the message today is Wise Men Still Seek Him. All right? Wise men still seek Him. They sought Him. They found Him, but they followed a star. There was a faith journey for these guys. They didn't know I mean, think about that. Jerusalem was surprised. They were doing this by faith. And yet, as we see in the word of God, as it relates to salvation, finding God, there is a beautiful, unique process. The gospel's the same for all of us, but there is a unique, beautiful process of seeking God out and finding him. So we're going to take a look. And again, we're kind of using the the story of the wise men as our, our pattern this morning. But what did they do? They followed his star. They had a seeker's gaze. They were looking for something. Now we know Jesus, he spoke to the people who said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He is the light. He goes on to tell us though, you, me and you, we are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're talking about wise men still seek him. Again, there's kind of a, a, a twofold, if you will, application we're looking at it this morning because you know, there's a seeking that we've done with Jesus and we found him, but there's still more seeking that we do. And there's still a pattern here that we're looking after. There's still a leading and a guiding. But we also see that God uses us as part of other people's seeking process, all right? God has us here in that sense to be that light, to be that pointer, right? We are not Jesus, but we can point like that star could point and, and guide people, to the Lord. You know, a lot of times when people come to the Lord, there is a process that's involved where you know you might have been part of it. You know, you you might have just been that crazy Christian who tells them God loves them and you know they go the other way. Who knows? Or you might share something that gets them thinking. You know, a lot of times when a person comes to Christ, there is going to be a series of things. Light series of things that all of a sudden when they look at the cross, it makes sense and it lights up. It's almost like a dot-to-dot puzzle. We each have little pieces and parts of pointing people and they see it, they get it. So we got to understand, you know, as Jesus set this up, we're part of that process. Abby was asking me the other day, was, we were driving and she said, the moon, what makes that moon so shiny? I said, well, it's really just the sun. What you're seeing is just the reflection of the sun off the moon. It's nighttime, but the sun is still getting through. It's shining off the moon. And I think it's a, it's a good analogy too for us. These are dark times, but the sun still shines. He shines in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the love of Jesus Christ. Let your, your light so shine that they'll see your good works glorify your Father who's in heaven. To just realize that things that we do, we are part of that light process. We are part of what people are looking for what they're gazing gazing at. Now, this is the way the Apostle Paul described it in one of his sermons in Athens. He said, From one man, he, God, created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they, these nations, should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him. This is the gospel. This is Paul preaching and declaring the gospel. But we see it's so amazing how God set it up. He set this thing up so that a gospel would be proclaimed, that nations would seek, feel after God. Look how messy that sounds. You're going to just feel after. You're going to perceive. You're going to look. You're going to gaze. There's going to be a journey. There is a unique personal journey we all have to seek after God to find him. You know, I love when I, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 23, the Lord is, is my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is my mom and dad's shepherd. He said the Lord is my shepherd. And no matter who you are, no matter what family you grew up in, you all have your own individual journey. You're all seeking. You're all feeling after, feeling toward him, perceiving something that ultimately commits your heart, your own decision. And you know, we see how God, again, he set it up as a gospel that would be preached. You know, I think of, you know, in my, my personal journey, I remember he- hearing the gospel preached at a little Lundstrom crusade as a little boy, and I could just sense this, the Holy Spirit drawing on my heart. It was like, wow, that's, that's, there's something real there. There's something really tangible there. And then it was several years later at a Nikki Cruz crusade, had that same sense and drawing that actually went forward and received Jesus on purpose as my Lord and Savior, you know, just making that declaration of faith. But it was a personal journey. And I grew up with people and family and friends and, you know, different things like that. But there was a point in time when I had to say, okay, I'm feeling my way toward God and I'm finding Him. He's not far from any one of us. He does command us to repent, to turn from our sins and to turn to Him. Repentance isn't just turning from sin. Repentance is turning to God. It's turning to the cross. It's turning to the love of God. But it's amazing how this simple message can sound different on different ears. Paul puts it this way. He says, if our gospel is veiled, if it's hidden, it's veiled or hidden from those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest... "'the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, "'whose the image of God should shine on them. "'For we do not preach ourselves, "'but Christ, Jesus, the Lord, "'and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. "'For it is God who commanded light "'to shine out of darkness, "'who has shown in our hearts "'to give the light of the knowledge "'of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ.'" The word of God is that light. That gospel is the light of the Lord. But we see what happens. Why is it that the, the gospel can sound completely different to two different people? One person could hear the sound of the gospel. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago to die for all your sins. And when you... When you believe him, when you believe on him, when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, he washes all your sins away. There's nothing between you and God, not because you did anything, but because of his grace and his love and his mercy. Somebody could hear that and go, wow, that's what I needed. My whole life, another person could hear that and think, oh, a guy came 2,000 years ago, died on a cross, it's a fairy tale. No, it's the same gospel, but it sounds different. To different people, and this is what Paul is talking about. Why is it failed? Because the God of this age, the world we live in, the atmosphere of the world, the narratives of this world, the the messaging of this world, you know, there's a just an evil presence of the world that distorts the gospel, that do- distorts Christianity, you know, and makes Christianity the oppressor, you know, and you got to get free from the oppressor. Stay away from Christianity. Stay away from the gods. It's a lying spirit. Satan is the father of lies. He'll flip the gospel to where instead of the gospel being the deliverer, the gospel is the oppressor. The gospel is not the oppressor. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Amen. And if there's something that makes it look like he's not, that's because there's a veil there. That's because of the God of this world is, is putting a veil spiritually over your eyes and the way you're perceiving spiritual things. Jesus Christ is the Deliverer. He is the Savior. He came to save His people from their sins. And again, you can have two different people that can see it two different ways. And sometimes people don't always see it right the first time. Sometimes it takes us a little while to see it, to get it right, and that's why we stay with people. And we love people, and we don't give up on people, and we keep praying for people. And that can be a good prayer, that you can pray, as you're praying specifically for somebody and interceding for them. You can just take that authority and just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just take authority over any assignments, demonic assignments that are blinding so-and-so from receiving the gospel. I just take authority over those demonic assignments in Jesus' name. I pray for the air to be clear over this precious person's life. That they can have a chance to see clearly the gospel. That they can perceive clearly the gospel. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's a one way we can pray for the lost. We can pray for clarity. We can pray that their eyes will be open, that they'll see, that they'll perceive. Wise men still seek him because there's a gaze. There's something. I like the way the um, Hebrew writer says that they, there were people that were seeking after God, whose builder and maker is God. They were seeking after a home. There was a pilgrimage they were on. They're looking for something. You know? And all of our stories in terms of how we came to Christ, there is that spiritual pilgrimage. There is that seeking. And so what do we do? You know, we're part of other people's seeking process, whether you want to be or not. You are. Paul said, you are living epistles read and known of all men. So, you know, you can be influential in pointing people to Christ. That's why loving people, a food pantry, ways that we can shine, ways that we can show God loves you. It can be a dot, get under that dot-to-dot puzzle that points to Jesus. That can be a way that we show love and grace, different ways that we give, show mercy, kindness, forgiveness, things like that that make us different, that make us stand out, that don't make us like the God of this world and the people in it. So there was an element of that seeking. There's a gaze that that's by design. His purpose for the nations was to seek after God, to feel their way toward him. Sounds a little messy. It is, it's faith. There's a reaching out. These wise men were going by faith, you know? A pretty amazing step of faith as they're seeking after the Jewish king, Jesus. But the other thing is, they found him. They found him. And this is the seeker's promise. This is the promise for those who seek, they find. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek. You will find, knock, the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and him who knocks it will be opened. The God of this world spends a lot of time discouraging people and blaspheming the gospel and to a way that people are discouraged to seek. But God says, if in the face of all the junk, if in the face of all the stuff you don't, don't even know, if you'll seek, you will find you will find that's the that's the promise given to the seeker everyone who seeks finds knocks it will be opened if in the face of discouraging situations in the if in the face of a discouraging atmosphere and environment i still choose to seek i'm going to find that's the seeker's promise Faith says, you know, you believe that God is, but you must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder. I believe He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I believe that about Him, so I seek Him. The promise given to the seeker is they're going to find And We saw when those wise men found Him, they were filled with exceeding joy could you imagine that you're on this quest and all of a sudden, there it is, your faith becomes sight. They saw him, they found him. It was a joyous experience. Uh, Jeremiah puts it this way, for I know the thoughts that I have, think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I just love that promise. If you seek me, you will be found in me. You know, I will I will be found by you. And so it's an important thing to realize that for the seeker there's a promise of finding You diligently seek because you believe he's a rewarder. You believe he's going to cause you to find whatever it is you're seeking for. And again, this can, obviously we've found the Lord Jesus, but you can also seek and find other things. It can be direction. It can be wisdom. It can be guidance. It can be just, you know, how to do something. There is a seeking and a finding. Everyone who asks, there's a blessing of seeking. And again, there's temptation to be discouraged for the seeking process, but God promises you seek, You will find. And a lot of times we're kind of wondering, what does God do, you know, for people who, you know, don't hear or don't know or whatever. I can tell you one thing anybody who's seeking after God, there's a promise they are going to find him. In fact, back in the early days of the church, there was a guy who was a seeker. But like those wise men, he was a Gentile. Cornelius was a devout, God fearing man. "'as was everyone in his household. "'He gave generously to the poor "'and prayed regularly to God. "'One afternoon, about three o'clock, "'he had a vision in which he saw "'an angel of God coming toward him. "'Cornelius,' the angel said. "'Cornelius stared at him in terror. "'What is it?' he asked. 'What "'What is it, sir?' he asked the angel. "'And the angel replied, "'Your prayers and gifts to the poor "'have been received by God as an offering. "'Now send some men to Joppa "'and summon a man named Simon Peter.' Now something you got to understand here is the early church for the first 10 years, it was all Jews, all Jewish. Right? That revelation of the Gentile to come in hadn't come yet. They weren't going after it. They were staying away from Gentiles. But God, what changed the whole paradigm? A seeker. Cornelius, he wasn't saved. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a believer. In fact, we find out later. We'll we'll get to that other account. But he he needed God, but he was a seeker. And God responded to a seeker, and upset the whole early church because he did send those messengers to Joppa. They did find Peter. Peter had his own vision that kind of helped him go along with this. He did follow Cornelius's men. He did come into Cornelius's a Gentile's home, and he preached the gospel, and they got saved, and Peter got in trouble because they're not supposed to get saved, and so Peter has to give an account for why he did what he did, but when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles? and even ate with them, they said. So he related, Peter's relating this, Cornelius told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Now this is interesting. The theology of the early church is about to change here. And it's not because somebody was burning the midnight oil and got a revelation. A seeker. A seeker after God. Crying out to God. Loving God. He wasn't saved He needed words to be saved. He had alms. They got, certainly the Lord recognized that, but he still needed to hear words by which he had to get saved. His alms didn't save him. But boy, it was a seeking heart. And what does it God do? He rewards those who seek him. Everyone who, everyone, everyone. Cornelius's who seek, find. Me and you who seek, find. What does that show? God will move heaven and earth for a seeker who's seeking after him. He will get the church back on track when there's a seeker involved here. What is this? It's a promise. Finding him, what the, what the wise men, when they found him, that's the seeker's promise. What are we encouraged to do here? We're encouraged to seek. And we're encouraged to, to, to you know, let. I'll say this too. As somebody's coming along on their journey, and as somebody's seeking after God, encourage them on that journey. You know, let them know hey, if you seek, you're gonna find. Don't give up. Share what you can. You know, don't just say what you know, but say what you hear the Father giving you permission to say about what you know. Listen, listen on the inside. Do the part that God has called you to do to be a part of their journey. But encourage them. You know, they will find. If they seek, they will find Cornelius sought, he found. When we seek, we find. There is an expectation, there's a promise in our seeking that we're going to find. Yeah, there may be Herods along the way, there may be people that want to distract us along the way, there may be people who don't get us. I mean, these folks back here, um, when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, those those Jewish believers, were they believers? Yeah, they were believers. But they wouldn't have gone along with Cornelius. That's okay. You seek, God is going to You are going to find. He is going to reward you. And then finally, I just love, you know, as we look at the the story of the wise men, is the response. They worshiped him. The seeker's response. It's just natural, supernatural. When you find what you're looking for, that there is a response of worship. And as we look at the life of Jesus, of course, those wise men worshiped him as a small child, but we see as that baby grew up in the manger and from the manger and began to do the amazing things of his father. It says, Then as he was now, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Which didn't make them any happier than they already were. But that's quite a statement. He knew who he was, didn't he? He didn't say, "Ah, oh, shocks, you know, guys. That's okay, really." No, he said, "If they don't, they don't. If they keep silent, the stones are going to cry out." He's God. He's worthy of worship. They saw the miracles. They saw the signs. They saw the prophesied signs, and they were crying out, "Blessed is the King who comes." in the name of the Lord. They were recognizing their own king, and it was worship. And when the, when the Pharisees tried to stop it, Jesus was saying, no, this is appropriate. They found what they were looking for, and they worshiped. I'll tell you what, this is beautiful, because this there's nothing that quite validates finding what you're looking for than the punctuation of worship. It's what we're called to do too. Peter puts it this way. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Praise God. I'll tell you what, there is something so powerful and precious about that. You seek and you find. Do you know you're supposed to find? I remember, I think it was Keith Green's testimony back when he was, um, before he was saved, you know, he was kind of in that, six, that group where you're trying drugs and, you know, trying to get experienced spiritual things like seeking for God and all that. And he had his whole group that he would run with. And, and of course, one day he got pointed, went to a certain Bible study, and he found God. He was so excited. He was telling everybody about Jesus. And all of a sudden, you know, because he's just worshiping God, because he found Him. It's natural. And all of his seeker friends were mad at him. You know, it's okay to be a seeker, but you can't find anything. That's offensive, you know? I mean, dude, be a seeker, but it's you can't, you know, proclaim that you found something. Man, when you found something, you know you found something. There is a worship. There is a proclaiming of the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's very much for real. And it's not something that is temporary or emotional. I remember a young guy who got saved and... Um, I kind of heard that his uh, somebody said, yeah, it's just going to wear off. you know. It'll wear off. Let me tell you something about this. This doesn't wear off. This is heaven. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You've made us every tribe tongue, people, and nation, every family of the earth. You have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth, worthy as the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. This is a worship. This is a worship that goes on forever and ever. You know, we worship intentionally every Sunday morning. We get into the presence of God, like I like to say. You know, the worship team—they're going to go. You know, they're going to go in there with or without you. They go with an intention to worship in spirit and in truth, and you can kind of feel that call. Am I going to? Am I going to worship from the outer court, or am I going to worship in the holy of holies? Am I going to go on into that inner sanctuary? Those are decisions that you make that are between you and God. You know, you might start out in the outer. But God wants us to draw in. He wants us to draw into that place of worship. That is a here and now. We're called to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But this isn't something that is going to wear off. This is something that when you get to heaven, we appreciate what Jesus did for us now on a level. But when you're in heaven, you're standing in the presence of a holy God without any sense of guilt or shame and your identity is, I belong here, that work of grace will be even more profound than it is now. I mean, we kind of know things technically, theologically, but when you're standing in the reality of the presence of a holy God and the new creation that you are in Christ Jesus is just on full display, there's no flesh world in the devil, the new creation that he created you to be in Christ Jesus. Still a temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't stop being a temple of the Holy Spirit when you go to heaven. Jesus said, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, He's going to abide with you forever. Sometimes people say, Are we going to know one another in heaven? Well, you're just going to know. You've got the you're going to know what the Holy Spirit knows. You're going to have the intuitive understanding of the Holy Spirit. He will show you, He will guide you, He'll give you understanding. I mean, there's a presence and a glory of God. You know, Paul puts it this way in Romans. He says, the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy, lo- strong language, aren't worthy to be compared. Another said, that's really bad. This is really good. Don't even do that. He's saying, don't even do that. It's not worthy. Don't say, this is really bad. This is really good. It's so good that it's not even worthy to be compared like that. It's so amazing that it's inappropriate to say, before, this is me before, and this is me after. No, you don't do that with what you're about to experience. The first Christmas gift ever is the gift of eternal life. That's what we got. That's what we're going to experience. And what does he say? You have made us kings and priests to our God. He doesn't say, and we shall reign in heaven forever with him. No. This is a worship chorus that is singing about a future event. And we shall reign on the earth. When you die, you don't go to heaven forever and ever. Heaven is a, it's a green room. It's a very temporary space. We will end up with glorified bodies on a glorified earth. Physical forever and ever and ever. God created a physical earth with his man to have dominion. Man fell. Redemption for God isn't just about man coming back. It's also about him having his earth and his man having dominion forever and ever. That's God's ultimate redemption. Full circle. Back to an earth, back to a garden, back to a place. I mean the glory of what we are heading into. It can't be compared. There's a worship that springs forth. This doesn't wear off. This just goes from glory to glory. We are so blessed to know him, and we are part of that. Wise men still seek him. And we can attest, wise men still find him, and wise men still worship him. We are part of what the wise men knew such a long time ago, That star, that light of the gospel, it's not a fairy tale. Yeah, the God of this world blinds the minds and tries to make it into a fairy tale, but it's not. It's true. It's a true light that changes a life and gives a gift of eternal life that we can live with Him forever and ever. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning. I just thank You this morning for those of us who know Him, who love Him, who found Him. Father, we just thank you that we can seek you and find you. Go ahead and make this a declaration of faith if your heart can agree. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the star, the light of the gospel that has led me to a decision to receive you as my Lord. I thank you. The stuff going on down here can't compare To the gift of eternal life. I thank you for it. I worship you and I bless you. Lord Jesus, today's my day, the day I call on your name. I believe you died for me. I receive you now as my Lord, as my Savior. I have found you, the one who loves me. I receive that love, and I will live for you as the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, praise God. Well, if that's the first time you prayed the second part of that prayer, let somebody know. Say, hey, today was my day. Today I found him. I saw it, it clicked, it made sense. The veil was gone, and I simply received. That's all we can do. You know, we just simply receive him, give thanks for that free gift that he's given to us, and live an amazing, wonderful, blessed life in him with an eternal life out ahead of us. Amen. Praise God.